someone said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us come into the house of the Lord. And I don't know about you, it's good to be together one more time. I don't want to uh, take for granted the fact that your pastor, Pastor Rose, has so graciously extended her pulpit to me at this time. Let's give the Lord a great big hand of praise for Pastor Rose. She is my friend and my sister in Christ. Amen. Now, beloved, for our time together, let me call your attention to our lesson from the gospel according to Luke. In Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses, I want us to focus our attention on verse number 4. Verse number 4, we find these words. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. You're going to use our subject this morning on this World Communion Sunday, the thought, deep water theology. Deep water theology. One of the things that we find amazing about human development is that as human beings, we are resistant to change. For many of us, change is an unwelcomed friend. An unwelcomed friend who oftentimes comes to us at an inopportune moment and in a way that we least expect. Consequently, in order to make us more receptive to change, God sometimes resorts to utilizing what I call the crises or the crisis moments and the crises times in our lives. Such is the case in our lesson for this morning. In order to assist his disciples in understanding the church and the mission of God from a different perspective, Jesus utilizes one of the crises in their lives. Our lesson for this morning suggests the fact that for the most part, and unfortunately for many of us in our lives, we tend to live out our lives in what some would call the shallow waters of life. We literally waste and throw away valuable time. We allow precious opportunity to pass us by, and we squander precious resources on things that amount to little or nothing. Just think about some of the things that we fall out with each other over. We have ministries, where more time is spent about arguing about the color of our uniforms than fulfilling our mission. 
We have folks who will not speak to each other sometimes for years because somebody got upset about the way someone else looked at him or her. We have people turning in their badges, hanging up their robes, giving back their keys, and resigning their positions because someone inadvertently left their name off of the program. Could it be that these scenarios are indicative of the fact that we are stuck in shallow water? The truth of the matter is, if we are honest with ourselves this morning, many of us are guilty of living our lives on the same level, day after day, week after week, month after month, and even year after year. Because we have not heard the Lord bidding us to launch out into the deep. If, however, our desire is to experience more of God's grace, more of God's influence, and more of God's power in our lives, then some of us have to determine in our hearts and in our minds that we are ready for God to take us to the next level. In a nutshell, that's what our lesson is about this morning. Our lesson is about assisting us in making deep changes in our lives. I call this lesson Deep Water Theology. Because in a nutshell, that is really what this lesson is all about. There are several profound insights that we can discover from our lesson for this morning. Let me share with you briefly and passing four insights that we can glean from our lesson. Four insights that I pray will assist us in growing and in developing in our walk with the Lord and in our relationship with one another. In the first place, one of the first things that we can discover from our lesson is the fact that in order for us to experience deep water theology, we must be willing to exercise obedience. In our lesson, Jesus issues Simon Peter a challenge. He commands Simon to put out into deep water and let down his nets for a catch. Simon responds by stating, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And the lesson goes on to describe a catch of fish that was so miraculous and so awesome until it began to literally break their nets. The point that our lesson is getting at is that there are times in our lives when God wants to do something awesome. But the problem is we are exhausted. And we are exhausted due to the fact that we have been caught in shallow water for far too long. The reason why we are caught in shallow water is because we have tried to achieve a desired goal in our own strength for so long until we are literally spent and wiped out. And as if, and, and I'm sorry, and as is so often the case when we are exhausted, we place limits on ourselves. 
And when we limit ourselves, God oftentimes has to challenge us in order to help us to realize that God is not like us. We may be tired, we may be exhausted, and we, have, we may be spent. However, God never gets exhausted. God's resources never run low. Just because we have consumed our energy and just because we have exhausted our strength, nevertheless, if we can find the wherewithal to obey God's word, God has a miracle in store for us. Whenever it comes to us finding and discovering a more meaningful and a more substantial life for ourselves, sometimes in order to do this, we have to be like Simon and say, I've worked so hard and I'm so exhausted, but nevertheless, because you say so, Lord, I'll give it one more try. In our lesson for this morning, Simon had just cause to be, to just cause to disobey or to ignore the Lord's command. Simon and the other fishermen were not lazy. Neither did they give up easily. Our lesson highlights the fact that they had done their very best and they had done the best that they could do. They toiled, they labored, and they strained all night long. And with all of their labor, their labor was still in vain. And yet, here comes Jesus, just like Jesus does. Jesus says to them, launch out into the deep. Cast out your net and give it one more shot. The reason why launching out into the deep requires radical obedience is because given some of the circumstances and some of the experiences and some of the situations that we find ourselves in in life, responding to the Lord's command seems in some cases to be ludicrous, to be irrational, and to be outright illogical, and to some this sounds just like foolishness. Some of us have been trying to do the right thing for so long in our families. We've been trying to do, so, do, do the right things with our friends. We've been trying to do the right things with our loved ones and in some other intimate relationship for so long. And we have fought, we have worked, we have struggled, we have sacrificed until we are ready to give up because we are at the point of exhaustion. Others of us have been working and living in a household where we have not been happy for such a long time. And we have tried all that we know to try. We've done all that we know to do, and we've prayed as hard as we know to pray. And yet day after day, week after week, month after month, and sometimes even year after year, it gets no better and now we are ready to throw in the towel because we are at the point of complete exhaustion in our lives. And still there are others of us who are searching for meaning and purpose in our lives. And we have tried the party scene. We've tried the club scene. We've tried the drug scene. We've tried the professional scene. We've tried the prestige scene. We've tried the power scene. We've tried the influential scene and every other scene under the sun. And yet, 
the only accomplishment that we have made is that it has brought us to the point of having a nervous breakdown because we are totally exhausted and wiped out from expending so much energy in our lives. Life, beloved, has a way of sometimes leading us to a point where we are completely disappointed, disillusioned, and exhausted. However, when life finds us at a place of complete exhaustion in our lives, what we need to realize is the fact that Jesus may just be challenging us to launch out into the deep. You've tried all that you know how to try. Now, try Jesus for yourself. Jesus may be challenging us to get out of the shallow waters of life so that God can perform a miracle in our lives. Nevertheless, in order for this to occur, we are going to have to exhibit some radical obedience. Simon Peter obeyed Christ even in light of his apprehensions, even in light of his hang-ups, even in light of his fears, even in light of his disappointments in life, and God blessed him in a miraculous way. Somebody who is at the point of exhaustion ought to give God some glory and give God some praise. That God, that God is not through with you yet. Am I right about it, church? Give the Lord a great big hand of praise. Secondly, not only discover from our lesson the fact that in order for us to experience deep water theology, we must not only be willing to exercise obedience, but we can also discover from our lesson the fact that in order for us to experience deep water theology, we must be willing to live up to our full potential. In our lesson, if we simply focus our attention on the miraculous catch of fish then we run the risk of failing to discover the true miracle of our lesson. The fishermen in our lesson receive a super abundance of fish, but more than what is most important is Jesus's interpretation or his comment on this incident. In verse 10 of our lesson, listen to how Jesus interprets what has transpired in their lives. Jesus says to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. In actuality, what Jesus is saying to Simon is that one day Simon is going to be used by God as an instrument and as a vehicle to lead large numbers of persons to Christ. The miracle is that Jesus sees the potential greatness in Simon that Simon does not even see in himself. Even though Simon was most likely an unschooled and unlearned person in many respects, nevertheless, Jesus does not see what Simon sees, but Jesus sees what Simon can become. Thank God that when Jesus sees us, he does not use some of the same criteria that we use when we are assessing the potential of an individual. Many of us are looking for the smartest. We're looking for the cutest. Or we're looking for the finest. We're looking for someone who externally looks good. 
However, when God looks at us, praise God, God looks at us with eyes that can see deep in our soul and can see the potential that God has created and placed within us. Sometimes when we look at others, we see thugs, we see con artists, we see liars and thieves. Sometimes when we look at others, we see people who look as if they have little or nothing to offer. Sometimes when we look at others, we focus our attention on the fact that maybe they don't speak good English, or maybe they have bad manners, or we see them as being uncultured or rough around the edges. However, when God sees us, God sees our gifts, God sees our talents, God sees our creativity, and God sees a whole host of things that can only be seen by God. My mama used to tell us all the time, don't be so quick to judge a book by its cover. God has taken convicts and turned them into lawyers and judges. God takes individuals who are unschooled. And God uses them to teach us some of life's most profound lessons. God takes those of us who have done nothing but fail and who are losers from the world's perspective. And God changes them and turns them into achievers and winners in life. Whenever we launch out into the deep, we can never be sure what we will encounter because there exists unlimited, amazing, and radical potential in the deep that does not exist in shallow water. If some of us would just give God a chance, God will use the potential that is within us in order to turn us into something that will literally blow our minds. Now, I know we're all dressed up this morning, but I wonder if there's a witness in the house. I wonder, is there anybody that when you look back from where we've come from and you see what God has done? And you know that it was only God, only God's grace only God's mercy, only God's power, only God's providence that could take a wretch like me and change us into something awesome. With God, what I love about God is that with God, it's never too late to use our potential. God has the key and God has the combination that will open up the potential that is latent within all of us. With God, the word never simply does not exist. With God, the word impossible carries little or no weight. With God, the words too late means nothing. Even for Lazarus, who was dead and who had been dead for four days. God demonstrated that life may have placed us in a situation where others think we're nothing but a stinking, rotten corpse. And God can resurrect us and give us life abundant and life eternal. 
Never to God means simply an opportunity for God to demonstrate the fact that God is omnipotent. Impossible to God means that God has the opportunity to prove that with God, all things are possible. With God, too late means that God gets to show us that he's an on-time God. God is able to restore wasted time in our lives. Did not the word of God declare that he will restore what the canker worm has eaten away? Somebody ought to give God glory and give God praise. Even though you wasted a good portion of your life, thank God that God was not through with you yet. Give God some glory and give God some praise. God is able to restore wasted time in our lives. God is able to give us another chance. And God is able to make a way for us that only can be made by God. God is able to do that. Thank God that God sees the potential that exists inside of all of us. But there's something else that we can discover from our lesson. Thirdly, we not only discover from our lesson the fact that in order for us to experience deep water theology, we need to not only be willing to exercise obedience, we need to not only be willing to live up to our full potential, but we can also discover from my lesson the fact that in order for us to experience deep water theology, we must be willing to make meaningful personal sacrifices. Now, pastor's going to get quiet again. <laughs> Once again, if we simply get caught up in the miracle of the fish, we will miss the truly profound aspects of this miracle. Verse 11 of our lesson, Simon, after Simon and his partners, James and John, pulled their boats on shore. Our lesson says that they leave everything in order to follow Jesus. They leave not only everything, but they leave everyone. These men abruptly and radically abandon all of their possessions. Their boats, their fellow fishermen, and their astonishing catch in order to follow someone who they cannot completely comprehend and to engage on a mission that they do not fully understand. Now that is what I call making a radical sacrifice. Most of us would be unwilling to abandon everything that we have and everything that is familiar to us in order to follow a complete stranger. Nevertheless, this is the type of commitment that God is oftentimes asking for those of us who want to launch out into the deep. God wants disciples who are willing to risk and to forsake all in order to follow him. Especially these days when there is so much lukewarmness amongst the people of God. These days, people do not want to give up anything, especially when there are no guarantees associated with whatever God is calling us to do. These days, we have believers who live with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. 
And tragically, these lukewarm disciples see nothing wrong with their behavior and their witness. This classification of disciples see nothing wrong with half-heartedly following Jesus. This type of disciple simply follows Christ to church, but they will not follow him from the church, as is evident by the way in which they choose to live their lives. They're willing to come to church and have a good time. They're willing to come to church and hear the choir sing. They're willing to come to church and hear somebody else pray for them. They're willing to come to church and watch somebody else do the work of ministry. But when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to going out into the hedges and into the highways and into the byways, when it comes out, when it comes to reaching those persons that many times others turn their back on who are powerless to speak for themselves, this classification of disciples would rather go to their nice house in Fairfield and Stratford close their gate, walk their little dog, take their little kids to, to very good schools and forget about the rest of the world. Sometimes in order to follow Christ, we have to abandon our fears. Sometimes in order to follow Christ, we have to be willing to abandon our hangups. Sometimes to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to abandon our doubts and our apprehensions because following Jesus places demands on us, on us that from a purely human perspective are simply mind-boggling and at times can be outright frightening. To follow Jesus means that we must be willing to abandon our fear of loving one another. To follow Jesus means we have to be willing to give up our hang-ups about those who are different from ourselves. We have to labor to get to know the fact that it doesn't matter in God's economy if you're a black Christian or a white Christian, if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter to God. There's only one race from God's perspective. And that's the human race. And I don't know how long it's going to take us to realize that. But the truth of the matter is, we are all in this thing called life together. I don't care where you live. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many titles or positions you possess. I don't care how much, how educated you are. The truth of the matter is we are all in this thing together. <laughs> to follow Christ means that at times we have to be as wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Consequently, sometimes it may appear to others like we are simply foolish. Following Christ means that we have to abandon our doubts because God did not give us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of power, love, 
and a sound mind. Living by faith means that we have to abandon our doubts because fear and faith cannot live at the same address. To follow Christ means that we have to be ready to abandon any and everything in our lives that competes with Jesus because Jesus will take second to nothing and to no one. Fourth and finally, we not only discover from our lesson the fact that in order for us to experience deep water theology, we must not only be willing to exercise obedience, we must not only be willing to live up to our full potential, we need to not only, and we must not only be willing to make personal sacrifices, but we can also discover from our lesson the fact that in order for us to experience deep water theology, we must be willing to see what others cannot see. In our lesson, in our lesson, the most profound aspect of this miracle is contained in verse number eight. Verse eight of our lesson states, when Simon Peter saw this, fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In our lesson, Simon Peter's revelation is twofold. First, he sees himself probably for the first time in his life as he truly is. He recognizes the fact that he is a sinful man. And he does not deserve to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. I wish I had time to talk about how many of us need to get off of our high horse. And don't think that just because you never had a drug problem. Don't think that simply because your kids never dropped out of school. Don't think that just because you've been able to pay all your bills that you are not a sinner like the rest of us. Now, before you fall out with me, I did not say that. The word of God says, all has sinned. The only definition of all is everybody. Everyone. All have sin. But the problem is we make levels of sin. Big sins. Little sins. Big lies and white lies. Folk that maybe don't break into a store but will cheat on your taxes. How many ways out of here is it? <laughs> In our lesson, as I stated, Simon Peter's revelation is twofold. First, he sees himself probably for the first time in his life as he is. He recognizes the fact that he is sinful. He is a sinful man and does not deserve to be in the presence of Jesus. 
And secondly, it is revealed to him by virtue of the miracle that he witnessed firsthand that Jesus of Nazareth is in actuality the Lord God Almighty in the flesh. And consequently, Simon addresses him not as Jesus, but as Lord. This is the thing that makes this miracle so radical. I call this aspect of Jesus' miracle radical because there are only a few times in our lives when life gives us the opportunity to see ourselves as we really are and not how we have deceived ourselves into thinking we are. When this happens, usually this experience helps us to see ourselves as a person who is in desperate need of God's grace. From the least of us to the greatest of us, no matter who we are and no matter what we can do, we are all in need of God's grace. When we think about the goodness of the Lord, when we think about his grace and his mercy, when we think about all that the Lord has done for us, him writer said, my soul shouts hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. Is there anybody in here today that's glad to be saved? Is there anybody in here that's glad to declare? He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me that I'm his own. Anybody here today that's glad to say, he reminds me that I'm more than a conqueror. Anybody here that's happy today declare that God says that they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Is there anybody who you're weak and you're feeble? I stopped by with good news this morning. Hang on and hold on. Help is on the way. Lift up your hands. Lift up your heads. And be ye lifted up the ancient doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord. I said the Lord. I said the Lord. God almighty. Lift up your hands. Say yeah. Say God bless you. God bless you. Amen. 